Section 12 of the Letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter 36, Paris, Monday, January the 15th, 1674. Saturday last, I dined with Monsieur de Pompon, as I told you, and was there till five o'clock, enchanted, transported, enraptured with the beauties of Despréaux's art of poetry. Duckville was there. We often talked of the pleasure you would have received from it. Monsieur de Pompon recollected that one day, when you were a very little girl at your uncle de Sévigné's, you got behind a large window with your brother and said you were a prisoner, a poor unfortunate princess driven from your father's house. Your brother, who was as handsome as yourself, and you were as handsome as an angel, played his part extremely well. You were nine years of age. He made me remember the day perfectly. He never forgets one moment that he has seen you, and promises himself great pleasure in seeing you again, which is very gratifying to me. I own to you, my dear, that my heart is bursting with joy, but I shall conceal it till I know your resolution. Monsieur de Villiers is returned home from Spain and has given us a thousand amusing anecdotes respecting the Spaniards. I have at length seen La Marron in her cell, for it is nothing else. I found her quite in deshabille, not a single hair to be seen, with a coarse coif of old Venice Point, a black handkerchief on her neck, a faded grey gown and an old petticoat. She seemed very glad to see me. We embraced each other tenderly. She does not seem at all changed. We began the conversation by talking of you. She appears to love you as well as she ever did and seemed so humble that it is impossible to help loving her. We then talked of the religious life she had lately embraced. She assured me it was true that God had vouchsafed her a great portion of grace, of which she had the most grateful sense, that this grace consists in great faith, profound love of God, horror of the world and its vanities, and a thorough distrust of herself, adding that if she were to go abroad for only an hour, this divine spirit would evaporate. In short, she seems to preserve it carefully in her solitude, like a bottle of fine perfume. She believes the world would make her lose this precious liquor, and she even fears the parade of devotion might spill it. Madame de Schomberg says she is not to be compared to Madame de Marron. Her savage disposition is softened into a passion for retirement. The disposition does not change. She is even exempt from the folly common to most women to love their confessor. She does not approve this tie and never speaks to him but at confession. 
She goes on foot to her parish church, reads all our books of religion, works, prays, has a fixed time for everything, takes all her meals in her own room, sees Madame de Schomberg at a certain hour, hates news as much as she used to like it, is as charitable to others as she used to slander them, and loves the Creator as much as she loved the creature. We laughed a good deal at her former manners and turned them into ridicule. She has not the least air of the Colette sisters. She speaks very sincerely and very agreeably of her situation. I was two hours with her without being at all dull. She reproached herself even for this pleasure, but without the least affectation. In short, she is much more amiable than she ever was. I do not think, my dear child, you can complain that I have not been particular enough. I have just received your letter of the 7th. I own to you, my dearest, that the joy it has given me is so lively that my heart can scarcely contain it. You know how strongly it feels, and I should hate myself if I was so warmly interested in my own affairs as in yours. At last, my child, you are coming. This is the most delightful to me of all. But I'm going to tell you something you do not expect, which is that I solemnly swear to you that if Monsieur de Lagarde had not deemed your journey expedient, and that if it really were not so for your own affairs, I would not have taken into consideration, at least for this year, the ardent desire I have to see you, or what you owe to my infinite affection. I know how to keep within the bounds of reason, whatever it cost me, and I have sometimes as much strength in my weakness as those who are wiser. After this sincere confession, I cannot conceal from you that I am penetrated with joy, and that reason concurring with my wishes, I am at the moment I write to you perfectly satisfied so that I think of nothing now but of receiving you. Do you know, the best thing, after yourself and Monsieur de Grignon, would be to bring the coadjutor. You will not, perhaps, always have Lagarde, and if he fails you, you well know Monsieur de Grignon is not so zealous in his own affairs as in those of the king his master. He has a religious care of those which can only be compared to his negligence with regard to his own. When he will take the trouble to speak, no one does it better, and we cannot therefore but wish it. You are not like Madame de Corbison to act alone. You must wait eight or ten years. But Monsieur de Grignon, you and the coadjutor would do admirably together. Cardinal de Retz has just arrived and will be delighted to see you. What joy, my dear child, will your return occasion? But above all things, come prudently. 
It is to Monsieur de Grignon I give this charge, and I expect him to be accountable to me. I have written to the coadjutor to entreat him to accompany you. He will facilitate our audience with the two ministers and will support his brother's interest. The coadjutor is bold and fortunate, and you will mutually heighten each other's consequence. I could talk till this time tomorrow upon the subject. I have written to the Archbishop, gain my point with the coadjutor, and to give him my letter. The Prince has come back after being thirty leagues on his journey. Monsieur de Turenne did not go. Monsieur de Montreuil has withdrawn his forces, and Monsieur de Luxembourg is now at liberty. Within these twenty-four hours, the chapel at Saint-Germain has been robbed of a silver lamp worth seventy thousand francs, and six candlesticks of the same metal, each of them taller than I am. This is a daring incidence. Footnote. The Duke of Saint-Simon relates a still more extraordinary robbery that took place at Versailles. In one night, all the gold ornaments and fringes were stolen from the state apartment, from the gallery to the chapel. Whatever inquiries were made, no trace could be found of the robber, but five or six days after, the king being at supper, an enormous packet fell suddenly upon the table at some distance from him. It contained the stolen fringes, with a note fastened to it with these words, Bon temps, take thy fringes again, the pleasure pays not half the pain. Saint-Simon was a witness of this, back to main text. The ropes they made use of to get in were found by the Richelieu gallery. No one can conceive how the robbery could have been committed, for there are guards continually going that way and patrolling about all night. Do you know that peace is talked of? Monsieur de Chaume has since come from Brittany and is to set out again immediately for Cologne. Letter 37, Paris, Monday, February the 5th, 1674. It is many years ago today that there came into the world a creature destined to love you beyond every other thing in existence. Footnote. She refers to her birthday, the 5th of February, 1626, back to main text. I beg you not to suffer your imagination to wander either to the right hand or to the left. Cet homme là, sire, c'était moi-même. Footnote, a line of Marot in an epistle to Francis I. This man, sire, was myself, back to main text. It was yesterday three years that I felt the most poignant grief of my whole life. You set out at that time for Provence, and you remain there still. My letter would be very long if I attempted to express all the sorrow I then felt, and what I have since felt in consequence of this separation. 
but to leave this melancholy digression. I have received no letters from you today. I know not whether I am to expect any, but I fear not, as it is so late. I have, however, expected them with impatience. I wanted to hear of your departure from X, and to be able to compute with some exactness the time of your return. Everyone teases me, and I know not what to answer. I think but of you and your journey. If I receive any letters from you after this is sent away, you may make yourself perfectly easy, for I will certainly take care to do whatever you desire me. I write today a little earlier than usual. Monsieur Corbinelli and Mademoiselle de Mary are here and have dined with me. I am going to a little opera of Moliere's that is to be sung at Pelisari's. It is an excellent composition. The Prince, the Duke and the Duchess will be there. I shall perhaps sup at Gouvier's with Madame de Lafayette, the Duke, Madame de Tionge and Monsieur de Vivonne, of whom we are to take our leave as he sets out from hence tomorrow. If this party is broken up, I shall perhaps go to Madame de Chaune, where I am earnestly invited, as well by the mistress of the house as by... Cardinals de Retz and Bouillon, who made me promise them. The first of these is very impatient to see you. He loves you dearly. It was apprehended that Mademoiselle de Bois had the smallpox, but it does not prove so. There is not a word said of the news from England. This makes me conclude there is nothing good from thence. There has only been a ball or two at Paris during the whole carnival. There were masks at noon, but not many. It is a very dull season. The assemblies at Saint-Germain are mortifications for the king and only show the falling off of the carnival. Father Bourdalou preached a sermon on the purification of Our Lady, which transported everybody there was such energy in his discourse as made the courtiers tremble. Never did preacher enforce with so much authority and in so noble a manner the great truths of the gospel. His design was to show that every power ought to be subject to the law, from the example of our Lord who was presented at the temple. This was insisted on with all the strength and clearness imaginable, and certain points were urged with a force worthy of St. Paul himself. The Archbishop of Reims, as he returned yesterday from Saint-Germain, met with a curious adventure. He drove at his usual rate like a whirlwind. If he thinks himself a great man, his servants think him still greater. They passed through Nanterre, but they met a man on horseback, and in an insolent tone bid him clear the way. The poor man used his utmost endeavours to avoid the danger that threatened him, but his horse proved unmanageable. To make short of it, the coach and six turned them both topsy-turvy, but at the same time the coach too was completely overturned. In an instant 
the horse and the man, instead of amusing themselves with having their limbs broken, rose almost miraculously. The man remounted and galloped away, and is galloping still, for aught I know, while the servants, the archbishop's coachman and the archbishop himself at the head of them, cried out, Stop that villain, stop him, thrash him soundly. The rage of the archbishop was so great that afterward, in relating the adventure, he said, if he could have caught the rascal, he would have broke all his bones and cut off both his ears. Adieu, my dear delightful child. I cannot express my eagerness to see you. I shall direct this letter to Lyon. It is the third. The two first were to be left with the Chamarier. You must be got thither by this time, or never. Letter 38 Paris, Friday, May the 31st, 1675 I have received only your first letter yet, my dear child, but that is invaluable. I have seen nothing since your absence, and every fresh person reminds me of it. They talk to me of you, they pity me, they but stop. Is it not such thoughts as these we should pass lightly over? Let us then do so. I was yesterday at Madame de Venneux's in my way from Saint-Maur, where I had been with Cardinal de Retz. At the Hôtel du City I met Mademoiselle de Lonois, footnote, Adrienne Philippe Therese de Lonois, who had been maid of honour to the Queen, was married to James Mary de la Bonne Montreuvel in 1675, and not in 1672, as it is said by mistake in the history of the great officers of the crown, back to main text. I met Mademoiselle de Lamoy, was just married to the grandson of the old Count de Montrevel. The wedding was kept there. You never saw a bride so pert. She bustles about the house and calls husband, as if she had been married for twenty years. The same husband of hers, you must know, is very much troubled with the ague. He expected his fit the day after he was married, but missed it. Upon which Fiebe said, We have found a remedy for the ague. But who can tell us the dose? Mesdames de Castelnau, Louvigny, Sully and Fiesque were there. I leave you to guess what these charming women said to me. My friends are too solicitous about me. They harass me. But I do not lose a single moment that I can spend with our dear Cardinal. These letters will inform you of the arrival of the coadjutor. I saw and embraced him this morning. He is to have a conference this evening with His Eminence and Monsieur Duckville on the steps he is to take. He has hitherto remained incog. The Duchess has lost Mademoiselle Donquien. One of her sons is going to die besides. Her mother is ill. Madame de Langeron is already underground. The Prince and the Duke in the army. Ample subjects for tears. And, as I am told, he is not sparing of them. I leave Duckville to tell you the news of the war 
and the Grignons to write to about the Chevalier. If he should return hither, I will take as much care of him as of my own son. I imagine you are now upon the tranquil salon. Our minds ought to resemble this calm view, but our hearts perpetually seduce them. Mine is wholly with my daughter. I have already told you that my greatest difficulty is to divert my thoughts from you, for they all tend to the same point. End of section 12